Hey everyone, greetings and salutations. Welcome to Detoxicity, a podcast by and about men, but for everyone. My name is Mike Joseph. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at It's Mike Joseph and on Twitter at Tis Mike Joseph. Uh, whether this is your first time checking this podcast out or whether you're a regular listener, I am glad that you're here. I hope that you and yours are safe and healthy. Detoxicity is available on just about every podcast platform there is, in addition to, of course, the one that you're listening on. And I hope that however you listen, you take a minute to subscribe, rate, and or leave a comment. There is also a Detox Pod newsletter. You can find the link to sign up at tinyurl.com slash detoxpod. You can even drop me a line old school style at detoxpod at gmail.com. Feel free to make suggestions, provide constructive criticism, and don't hesitate to reach out if you yourself want to be on the podcast or you know someone who'd be a good fit. Kevin Calibro is the founder of Calibro Music Media, a PR and management company, and he's also a co-founder of the record label The Royal Potato Family. He works with musicians including the Chris Robinson Brotherhood, Modesky Martin and Wood, and Marco Benevento, and he's based in upstate New York. In this episode, Kevin and I spend a solid chunk of uh, the time together parsing out the dilemma of what to do when the values and politics of your loved ones don't solidly align with yours. It's an issue that many people, including me, have dealt with specifically over the last five or so years. In addition to politics, we talk about the ability of music to bring people together, which is based not only on Kevin's industry experience, but his time in the deadhead community. We discuss the thrill of the chase that music listeners today can't understand, and you get to find out where the hell the name Royal Potato comes from. Sort of. Anyway, here's Kevin. Enjoy. All right. Hey, this is Kevin Calibro. I run an independent record label that started out of Brooklyn and is now running out of Kingston, New York, uh, in the Catskills. Uh, the label's called Royal Potato Family. And I also have a... PR and management company called Calibro Music Media. And yeah, that's my, that's my story. So music is your life, basically. Music is everything. Yeah. (laughs) Was it always that way? Like was, was this your, your goal? This was my goal. Yeah. I mean, never specifically like to have a record label to be a publicist or, but from the time I was pretty, well, you know, I was just always so into music from like the time I was like seven or eight years old, you know, MTV, that, that was my Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Sure. And so then, yeah, I was just always into music, buying music, listening to music, watching MTV, you know, and then when I got a little older, I could start going to see shows, I really fell in deep with the Grateful Dead in that world for a while. And, you know, I was in college and had to do something. So it was, (laughs) let's work in the music business. I mean, it was always in the back of my mind, you know, that that's what I wanted to do. And, but when it came time to really make that decision, that's where, that's the uh, path I decided to dive into. And you want the whole story? Because it kind of connects to you in a very, does it? In general way. Well, with people we know in common. Okay. Maybe that's not interesting to your listeners. I don't know. But I mean, I can cut it out. Okay. But yes, now so, I'm curious about the story. So this is, yeah, it's crazy. So my sophomore year in college, I was going to, I went to school at a, a small college called Ryder University in South Jersey, Lawrenceville, New Jersey, home of John Stewart to be. Is that where you're from? No, I'm from North Jersey. 
Okay. Oh so, yeah, a town called Hillsdale. But so I was, I was, I was sophomore in college, or maybe a junior, and I got an internship at Megaforce Records, who at the time were based in in South Jersey. So, and Missy was kind of my boss there. Missy wow. Was, yeah. I did not know that. Yeah, and then. You know, I graduated college and I, I started working at a PR firm, music PR firm called Susan Blonde Inc. And, you know, I kind of lost touch with Missy. And then when I wound up working with, I, my next job after that was Joel Dorn at 32 Records. And the distributor at the time there was Ryko. And Missy had MRI through Ryko. Ah. She and I reconnected. And then when it came time, you know, many years later, after moving through several record labels with Joel Dorn, when it came time to like, you know, like I was just like, I want to start my own label. And Missy you know, was doing the sub distribution thing. And I was like, you know, do you think you would distribute my label? And here we are all these years, later. years later. Right. Yeah. So I, I got to ask, what the hell is a royal potato? The Royal Potato family is a, <laughs> comes from a Bob Dylan joke that I am not going to repeat for you because it's a bad, bad joke. Is it a dirty joke? It's not a dirty joke. Okay. It is just a bad joke. Okay. <laughs> but, but when told by Bob Dylan, it's a profound joke. You know? Got it. Just because it's Bob Dylan, because he right. can really say anything. Everywhere. Right, right. And if, right. if you've been listening to Bob Dylan's radio show, the Bob Dylan theme hour, or they've been broadcasting it again on Sirius XM. Right. I have not been listening to it, but this is the second time it's been brought up to me in the last 72 hours. So I figure I should maybe do that. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> and, you know, and then you could just picture a joke told in Bob Dylan style. You right. Know, like, <laughs> it, you would, it, yeah. So the Royal Potato Family was this sort of punchline for this joke that Mar Marco would constantly like kind of throw the punchline around. So he and I, Marco Benevento and I are partners in Royal Potato Family. I mean, he's kind of like, you know, silent partner at this point. He's, he's doing his own, you know, he's just an artist and making music. But what was my point? Yeah, so he'd always throw this joke around. And when it came time to name the label, I was like, why don't we call it the Royal Potato Family? And all these years later, here we are. Here you are. Stuck with this <laughs> name that is kind of brutal. But it's just because everyone's like, what does that mean? Like, right. And then there's this long-winded story for a joke that I can't, that can't. One, the owners can't even properly tell. <laughs> You're going to have to have like Bob Dylan record audio with the joke. And, and anytime someone asks, you just play it on your phone or something like that. That's a dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> so knowing what I know about the music that you publicize and the music that you put out and, and you know, knowing a little about you as a person, would it be fair to call you a hippie? You know, I feel like, yeah, I don't know. I guess, you know, I guess, I guess sort of this modern incarnation of it. I mean, I, I do bathe on a pretty 
on a daily basis. I mean, I, I don't know that that's necessarily... I only necessarily wash my hair a... once a week. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I'm not like a hippie, like, yeah, you know, I guess there's that stereo, typical 60s hippie idea, you know, like of people, you know, walking around like in sandals and bell bottoms and yeah like not like that but well there's the modern sort of the 21st century hippie yeah i kind of represent that sort of vibe i guess okay (laughs) and like you know it's it's kind of like the like a a sort of modern kind of because when i think of you know everybody i know that's like not everybody I know. A lot of people I know who like love the dead and love fish and, you know, are kind of jam bandy and, you know, go to festivals and that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like people who are not that exactly. Like I'm not a big, my bands play the festivals, but I'm not, was never a really big festival guy. I really like, you know, spent a lot of years immersed in the jazz world. So that's why I'm like hesitant to actually commit to the, to the H word. Right. (laughs) Right. Because it's it's not as it's not exactly what that idea is. Entails. Right. You know, and you also like you went from Brooklyn to Kingston and you know, you I don't know, it just feels yeah, you know, and it's nothing like I it's not a pejorative at all. Like I'm not, you know, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I, that just kind of like popped into into my head. So I you know it's always interesting to me to hear why people got into music and you know, I've been in the music business for a really long time and every, things have, everything's changed. I, you know, I started in 1993. So even from me in September, 1993, checking into that first job and it's, you know, CDs and cassettes and laser discs and VHS tapes and people coming in and, 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 buying, you know, Celine Dion and Mariah Carey and then like all this other stuff to 2020, 2021, when there's, you know, barely any record stores, you know, the, the demographic, I think of the music listener has changed the, you know, the nineties were like, you know, considered like the rock era, you know, and alternative rock was popular. 2020, you know, it's very rare that you see like a popular band with four people and guitar, bass, drums, and vocals anymore. Like, it's Mm -hmm. just, there's been this huge, like, sea change in the last, really in the last, like, 15 to 20 years. Where do you see, like, I mean, how do you feel about that, I guess, as a music fan and also as a business person? Yeah. I mean, I'll start with the fan part. It's easy for me to be sort of the old guy who's like, you know, they just... They're missing out on the experience. And I maybe, to, I mean, how do I say express this? Give me a second. We'll have to edit this. No, part. Yeah, um, it's fine. I mean, I think I don't, I don't want to sound like the old guy and in the room, like saying the kids today don't get it. But I do feel like there's music occup- seemingly from where I am occupies like it's like occupies a different space for kids today i think i don't know just when i was like a kid it was like my you know it was almost like your entire identity in a way you know and i mean sure i played some sports and but 
you know, just listening to records in your room and, and learning every, you know, every lyric on a record, reading like magazines and learning like what your favorite artists were listening to or learning their stories, you know, how they came to make music, coming to understand their sort of ideals and aesthetic, you know, that, that was a really, that was like the, a really big part of it, you know? And then just so, you know, when a record was coming out, you would, you would call the records, I would call record stores and be like, are you going to get that, you know, are you going to get that Neil Young record on right. August 12th, you know? And now, like, I, just the way I see, I don't have kids, but I, the way I see, like, my nieces and nephews relate to music, it's more about, like, you know, just snippets of it and what they're flipping through on TikTok and, and Instagram. And I don't, and it could be I'm just not seeing the right kids, but like I, even what I see coming to the label, like as fans of the label, I don't, I don't feel like I see a lot of like 18, 19 year old kids gravitating towards music that's like four guys in a band, you know, and it, it just seems to, and, and that where it becomes like such a big part of your identity, it's more just like this kind of background thing or I don't know you know so that's my I so I feel like that you know there's something else these days I know there's video games mm. you know and, and and social media but I feel like that you know that that it's music's so ubiqui ubiquitous like it's you even if you do get into music on, or, or trying to find your way in on a deeper level, you can go on Spotify or any of the streaming services and the entire history of recorded music is there. So it's not like you're not, you know, it's not like you're trying to, you know, you, you have to really put in that much effort, which kind of made it probably made it feel more special, you know? I think uh, so. And, I, and so I think that's probably, I feel like that's what kids, you know, are missing and on one hand it's great they've got the entire history of recorded music there so they could very easily jump from Thelonious Monk to Billie Eilish to you know whatever but they because you don't have to put so much time into seeking it out maybe it just doesn't like you know stay with I, you as much I, I totally hear what you're saying and I, I agree and yeah. I sometimes worry about sounding like the old guy in the room, but it does seem like music appreciation is a lot more of a passive experience now than it was when we were younger. You know, I mean, even when I was able to afford to buy music on my own, it's kind of like you bought a tape or a CD and you sat with that. Yeah. That part and played too. it over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. And there also weren't like, 59,000 records coming out in the same week. Like yeah. <laughs> there was, you know, one or two things and you bought them and you listened to them and you listened to them until the next cool thing came out or yeah. someone told you about something. It's, you know, not better or worse necessarily, just different. Different, yeah. So, um, so true. Like you'd really have to think about like how you'd spend that $14 on what yeah. like new cassettes you could buy, you know? Yeah. And that was the music you had for... Yeah. You know, it wasn't just like, like grazing and yeah. So. Yeah. It's not, it wasn't 
anywhere near as easily accessible. You know, and technology has been great for widening our ability to consume media, consume different viewpoints, like kind of all that stuff. You know, but it does feel like there was maybe a little bit more of a chase back in the day that made our consumption a little bit more meaningful. I don't know. Speaking of the chase, did you let me? Did you ever do this? I'm sure you did. You'd like sit by the television with your tape recorder by MTV, and then like you know the Prince video came on, or the you know Pat Benatar video came on. Yeah, hit play and record, and you just put it on a cassette. Because even in New York, that was the chase. Yeah, I mean, even in New York City, there was stuff that would come on TV that wasn't played on a radio on a regular basis and also you didn't know when something was coming on the radio so i would sit by the radio and sit by the tv with the cassette like on pause yeah Yeah. just waiting for a particular song to come on it's just like it's a different (laughs) different ball game so crazy yeah so you grew up in new jersey northern new jersey i now know Mm -hmm. and like does anything really stick out about your upbringing was there anything you know or was it a pretty normal seeming, you know? It was it was as safe and boring as the suburbs can be, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't, you know, it was a nice place to grow up, you know? Middle class, didn't, you know, didn't really have any sort of hardship or any of that, you know? But yeah so you know and there's not a whole lot of culture out there besides just what you're getting you know from from tv and so right you're kind of dealing with your immediate and this is pre-internet obviously as well so you're dealing with kind of your immediate area Mm -hmm. Uh, what i mean what was it like to finally kind of expand that and like get into the city and and you know, like do all that different stuff. Like when was the first time you really were like confronted with like, holy shit, this is something I've never like experienced before. Yeah, you know, you know probably like junior year in high school. Once some of my friends started getting their licenses, we would start going into the city and, you know, you'd find Bleaker Bobs and, you know, all, the village. And half the time you'd go there, <clears throat> actually you drive in and, also, like pre Google Maps or Waze, you just drive into the city and try to get to where you wanted to go. And yeah. I'd say, you know, out of 30 trips I took to the city, like 18 times you'd just get lost and wander around until. I mean, New York City's on a grid, so it's not like <laughs> that difficult. Yeah, we were never good at figuring that out. <laughs> well, if you stay in Manhattan, I guess you're, you're, you're pretty safe in terms of knowing where you're going because it's just up or down and across. Um, Well, when you're a kid too, it's like, it didn't even really matter. It was just like, I'm in New York City. Right, you're just gonna wander. So amazing, yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, similar. I mean, I think like my, like I I am positive that your upbringing and my upbringing were very, very different, Mm -hmm. but there was also- You grew up around Massachusetts? I grew up in Brooklyn. Oh, you grew up in Brooklyn? Yeah, I grew up in Brooklyn. Yeah. Uh, And um, getting into Manhattan and particularly the village, like I remember when I was, you know, really young, 
like I had relatives that would go into the village for the Halloween parade every year. And they would just kind of make fun of like the crazy people. And they would be like, oh, you know, the villages where all the gay people hang out and blah, 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 and all this other stuff. And they took me, I must have been like either 14 or 15. And I just like loved the energy mm-hmm. of, of the parade and like the Manhattan and the village so much. You know, that may have been the moment when I was like, well, I'm definitely getting the hell out of Flatbush as soon as I get the fucking chance. Um, wow, it's amazing that it felt that different to you. Oh, yeah. I mean, as I'm sure you know, like Brooklyn has changed quite a bit over the years, you know, but the neighborhood that I grew up in was certainly not multicultural by any stretch of the imagination. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my radius was pretty small. So, you know, being able to even like get into Manhattan without like parental supervision, I didn't start doing that until I was, you know, probably like a junior in high school. So I was 15, 16 years old, like, and yeah, I was finally able to like get on a train and, you know, go to Tower Records or whatever it was. Um, But, you know, prior to that, like I, you know, it was a very like monochromatic kind of, kind of upbringing. So in a weird way, it was, it's almost sort of parallel. Like, Yeah, it's, it's, you know, kind of just like opposite, but the same. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I completely lost my train of thought. But yeah, I mean, so I, was it, I mean, have there ever been like any like super culture shock moments for you? You know, those first few times, you know, you went to the limelight or something. Yeah, that was kind of big culture shock. Like, wow, these people are wild and different. And that's what kind of stands out to me as, as, as my first culture shock. Yeah. Yeah. And for for those that do not know what the limelight was, may it rest in peace. It was a club in 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 the village, and limelight wasn't the one that was the re was like the the revamped church, right? It was the church. Yeah. It was the church. Okay, all right. Because when I was like eighteen, nineteen years old, there was like limelight, and then there was a tunnel, and we would just switch back and forth. Oh yeah, there's a tunnel too. I did yeah. the tunnel too. Yeah, that, that kind of blends together with the limelight. Yeah. Yes, I mean I think they were like two blocks away from each other. Yeah. yeah. In the West Village, but yeah, it was just like, and we're probably about the same age. Yeah. Uh, so it would have been, you know, glow sticks and, you know, sort of yeah, raves of, and e and you and know leather and a lot of e. And, yeah. And darkness and yeah you know dark darkness is you know just dark oh yeah these clubs were like you could you'd have to be in there for like 10 minutes to yeah. get your eyesight to uh, adjust to the room so you could see people again totally yeah you know overpriced drinks yeah <laughs> i remember those days <laughs> but um, you know i have another thing as far as like the i don't really call it culture shock but this going back to the hippie thing like you know, when I first started getting into the Grateful Dead, and I mean, the Grateful Dead thing, it, I mean, if if you weren't around for it and you're, you use like, like the fish world as a comparison, it's, it's, it's not the same, you know, I know people like to make those like, I mean, there was a, there was a hardcore traveling culture that I guess you could say was culture shock to me that I, that really turned me on, you know, like, like, wow, you know, these people have their own little sub economy. 
you know, their, their, their values are a little like, they're, they're not like, they, you know, they've broken kind of out of that suburban value thing, you know? Right. You, you know, there's, there's a loose drug thing going on, you know, there's, there's no judgment there and people are free to really expand their minds, you know, for the first time in that way. And there's music and, the, and at the center of it, there's music and like, of course that's <clears throat> this is subjective but you know really deep spiritual music being played by guys who like were were really playing often at a high level and were coming out of you know a love of blues and jazz and folk and all and and early rock and roll and then like putting it into this thing so it relate i related to it on so many levels like just as a music fan as a kid but then like being away from home the first time and and seeing that there was this other way to be so and uh, is that what like what parts of the lifestyle like kind of just hit you the hardest outside of just the music you know was it you know was it the sort of not the communalism of it or was it the drug culture or was it the you know wh what was it that i that it was it was the idea of that you could like have these it was the idea of road tripping and just getting out there and seeing america and doing it like on no money and you know that that part of it was what really got me right yeah because i i you know the things that i and I don't have firsthand, like I've never been to a dead show and I've never been to a fish show. I've been to, I've seen Trey a few times because I dated somebody for a while who was a huge fish fan. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the the things I sort of get from that overall ethos is, you know, again, again like a sense of, of communalism mm -hmm. that I don't see in a lot of other cultures. Like the first time I heard about people like building an intentional community Mm -hmm. was through people who sort of fit into that that sort of neo-hippie ethos yeah i'm saying yeah. and then you like think about it and like okay yeah that totally makes sense like instead of living with people you have to live with like you sort of build your family mm -hmm. you know you create those bonds and you live with these people yeah um yeah definitely I, and what was cool about those people too is for the most part, you know, at least the people, I mean, there's always exceptions and there's people there and you, you know, you're young and now there's, there's people who you were with at that point in your life that you wish didn't veer so far off. But, sure. um, but my point was to say that there, it was a community that like, kind of did accept everyone and there was a lot of love and it, it wasn't, it, there was nothing, it was, wasn't negative. There was no negative aspect to it, you know, that, that I had been running into in other places. Like, you know, just being like, yeah, just, you know, just coming through high school and being in the suburbs and seeing this, like, as you get older, you start to realize there's this like, you know, a, a lot of stuff you're basing on money or just, you know, I go to college, come get a good job, get a house, you know, right. That kind of stuff. And, and that, that, that Grateful Dead world wasn't, 
it didn't exclude anyone and it wasn't about expiring to that kind of thing, you know? And I think that's part of what I like build this podcast around is kind of me really realizing that the things that a lot of things that I was taught were very objective or binary are actually completely subjective. Mm -hmm. And, you know, realizing that, you know, having a great job and busting your ass and, you know, living the quote unquote American dream is not necessarily the thing that's going to make you happy. And, you know, just progressive thinking on, on so many different levels. And, you know, the vibe that I get from, and, you know, there are times when I'm hanging out with some of my kind of like more open-minded friends and some of the things that they talk about are kind of weird to, not weird to me, but just like, I'm around some people who have like very strong aversions to scents. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I'm wearing deodorant. I don't care about your aversion to scents, (laughs) you know, but I do really, really appreciate and understand like taking the things that you were taught and sort of becoming a free thinker and realizing that those things don't work for you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think that that, that matches up to sort of the, you know, the, the, you know, again, kind of like that whole ethos. Cause did you find that in your life too, like, I mean, did you come from a family that kind of had a more like, <laughs> straight and narrow kind of way of looking at the world? Yeah. Oh, 100%. I mean, I grew up Christian. Yeah. And, you know, it was very much, it was very patriarchal. You know, the man was the head of the household. It was very, you know, I mean, it was, you know, I think part of us being aspirational was, you know, my folks coming from, another country, another environment, and believing in the American dream and thinking that the American dream was like get a well-paying job and Mm -hmm. make money and be able to purchase material items and provide and do all that stuff. But that like didn't sit with me and I was never really able to articulate it. And I think, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot because I'm reading this book by Bell Hooks called uh, The Will to Change. Mm -hmm. And what kind of saved me from being like that kind of like aspirational kind of super hyper-masculine kind of head of the household kind of like dude Mm. is queerness. Mm -hmm. Like that I think was the thing that, that, that sort of saved me from that because there's, you know, I'm definitely the black sheep of my family. There's nobody else like me, you know? So, so I, that's an interesting thing that I've been, I've been taking in. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, I, you know, I left home at 17 and being able to kind of see the world through the perspective of different people just like blew my mind and opened my eyes to the idea that there w- was more in the world than just, you know, making X amount of money and getting your degree and becoming a white collar professional. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's, I mean, you're, you're lucky, I mean, that you figured it out that early because I feel like there's so many people who can't, I mean, I think, I would think that maybe because at least you were in Flatbush and had somewhat of a prox- closer proximity to like an urban environment and, and the culture that 
is all around that kind of world let you have get to that quicker than someone who is like in the suburbs or god forbid a rural area you know? right. yeah i mean somebody who's in indiana or alabama yeah. or yeah. you know iowa where you know you you can't get to that point until you're in your late 20s or 30s or maybe never you know? right and then you wind up a senator in the Republican <laughs> court <laughs> exactly 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 so when we were kind of talking kind of prepping for this i can't i'm not going to quote you directly because i don't remember the direct quote but you know you said something about being a straight white guy and that caused me to look up all of the episodes that i have posted so far and see how many straight white non-jewish men i had featured on the show uh-huh and so I'm up to 29 episodes right now. Uh-huh. And I've interviewed five people who identify as straight white Christian. Interesting. So. Oh, so I'm five. You're six. I'm six. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Yeah. I don't really uh, identify as Christian, but. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, did, I was raised Catholic. Right. So, I mean, I, I, the way I see that is if you go to certain parts of this country mm-hmm. and someone identifies themselves as Jewish, yeah. they're going to have a problem. Right. Whereas, you know, if you're just a regular white guy, it's yeah. not a problem. So, right. you know, yeah. So I, it's, it's not Christian, but sort of just like, you know, I've, you know, in all this craziness that's going on, I've thought about that a lot because obviously, you know, we've all been thinking about this stuff. Hopefully. And there's just, you know, it's just, it's gotten really tense at times and there's been, you know, people like throw around civil war all the time now, which just seems so crazy to me. That word, like you would never utter that word five years ago. Right. But anyway, but straight white Christian guy kind of saves my ass, you know, like, I, but it lets me be the Trojan horse if I need to be like, I can enemy lines and, but I mean, it's gotta be, it's, I, I can't really imagine how it feels to like, be gay and black and it there's just so much there's just so much negativity out there and and crazy people you know it's it's you know the hardest thing for me i'm not even gonna say it's the hardest thing i'm gonna say one of the hardest things is talking to people and understanding that people are viewing you as less than just because of what you look like yeah. You know, and it's not like I have any sort of visible like learning defect or anything like that. Like I'm a person just like everybody else is a person. So it's it's like being looked at and having someone judge my humanity mm-hmm. based on particularly based on factors that I can't control. Yeah. You know, I have just as much a right to be alive and existent and have the same freedoms every else everyone else has as you do or every other you know yeah you know every other person does 
So just to kind of have that, whether you're, it's being, you're being confronted with it on a direct level or whether you're just kind of waking up in the morning with that in your head, yeah. it's, it just, it, it, it shifts your perspective so thoroughly. I'm sure I can't. Yeah. It's, it's, so I've been thinking about that a lot, you know, like I've, it's like so much easier, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing. I mean, it's, you can like, you know, the way I've explained it before is you, Kevin can wake up in the morning and you're Kevin. You can walk into a room and be Kevin. You can, you know, do whatever. I wake up in the morning and I'm black. Yeah. A lot of times before I'm Mike, I'm black. Like I walk into a room for a meeting and before I introduce myself, it's like, oh, that's a black guy. Yeah. So it's just like, you know, it's like you have to take extra steps to prove that you are as human as somebody else. You know, and, you know, women have to do that or, you know, not, I mean, non-binary people probably have it the worst in terms of, of gender. Yeah. You know, everybody that's brown has to do that. You know, anyone that has like an accent, like once they start talking, mm -hmm. you know, if they're from a foreign country and anybody that, I mean, obviously you can't tell someone is queer just by looking at them mm -hmm. um, unless they have something that's very obviously a signifier. But, you know, if someone walks into a room wearing a bracelet or a shirt or, or something that makes them, that makes their sexual or romantic orientation obvious, then that's going to be the first thing people see before they even register that there's an actual human being behind that, mm -hmm. you know? So it's just, it's, it, it, it's, it's something that, it, it, that weighs on every individual that has to be in those situations, has to present themselves in that situation, whether they're conscious of it or not. Mm -hmm. It's just, uh, you know, and I, I think, <laughs> yeah, and I think that lot. we, yeah, that we need people, you know, the straight white guys, I think, are the ones that really need to step the fuck up. Yeah. Um, because, again, like, like you said earlier, like, you can cross enemy lines. Mm -hmm. Like, if there's a guy that looks like you, that's you know, a uh, conservative shithead, and I call them a conservative shithead, they're not going to listen to me. Yeah. Do it. They're going to listen to you because at least at face value, you're one of them. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I hear what you're saying. But, I, you know, I also feel like nobody's listening to each other. So it's it's like sometimes it's 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 hard to know how to like say anything that's going to change anybody's mind mind right but i hear what you're saying totally yeah. and I, I i i would love to be <laughs> i'd love to be that guy I try to be that person in a way you know on a level but not in a confrontational way because you know i have conservative friends my family's conservative and i'm not in the position i'm not ready to you know i know some people are like it's time to draw a line if you're not with us you know but like i want to have a relationship with my parents and my family i want to have you know i've got friends from high school that feel a certain way that's different from me and i, I you know i feel like i feel like it's you know it's tough to it's tough when you disagree in such a big way but you don't want to like 
totally cut that off because I mean, that's, you know, we need to stay connected somehow. We're all living here together now. We are. And I, I like, I feel what you're saying. And I, I mean, I have conservative family members as well. I don't engage with them unless I have to. Yeah. But I also think it's, it really is a matter of kind of thinking of people who need to justify their humanity to other people. And it's kind of like, like the example I gave to someone was like, what if I came over for Christmas dinner or something like that? Mm -hmm. Like, would you want to bring someone you care about around other people you care about who completely disregard this person's ability to be human? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I can't say, well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's, but I, I will say this, like, it, this is a really weird thing. Like, there's so many just levels to all this. But, like, if I brought you home to my family for Christmas, you would be the black guy in the room. But they would, they would, if you started talking to them, and they wouldn't, like, you wouldn't have to justify your existence to them. You know, you, they would, they would like fall in love with you. You know what I mean? So it's, it's weird. That's the thing about all this stuff. Like, I'm not trying to make any excuses for anyone. No. But like, like I my parents are kind people, you know, like, and, and they want to just do what's best for their family. And they have these, they tie themselves to these weird political people but like they're nothing like Donald Trump, you know. What I mean? Right. Like, they're right. Not, like they're not going to poor boy rallies or whatever those idiots are called. Like, right. Um, is it poor boys? Proud boys. Proud boys. Um, like, yeah, it's not like that, you know. That's what's weird about it. And it's so easy to just divide people along these political lines, and it's and I believe me, I totally understand. It's yeah. not that easy. I just. You know, uh, look, I'm not in a situation where I have enough of a relationship with people that have conservative politics that I am confronted with, you know, having to make that kind of choice. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, if someone that I was really close to, I don't know. I mean, if someone I was, there's a difference between and I'm trying to sort of be nuanced here. There's a different, there is a difference between someone who has quote unquote old fashioned values and doesn't understand. Yeah. I think, you know, doesn't understand why people are saying black lives matter, doesn't understand any kind of like non-binary sexuality, doesn't like there, there's a difference between those people and the people who I think do under either are willfully ignorant or do understand and don't want those people to exist. Yeah. Yeah, that's a big difference. Right. You know, and I think we need to be careful about that stuff. But at the same time, I do think that there's also like teaching that yeah. has to happen. Yeah. You know, so that the people who can be saved can be saved. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. Yeah, I'd hope so. I, but yeah, that's... That's where you get back to that part where it's like, why isn't anyone listening to each right. other anymore? You know, yeah. it's, you know, it's, it's, I mean, it feels to me too. And 
they'll of course disagree with me but it's like it's not it's almost like it's not well we need to be listening to each other it's not really your time to talk to us you should be listening listening yeah 100 like look like this is coming to a head and it's like yeah you know male white dudes it, it, the, the narrative's not yours right now. Like you, it, it's, I don't know if narrative's the right word, but the- It's not. <laughs> I mean, if, if you are, are, are a heterosexual or heterosexual identifying white guy, yeah. the floor has, the floor has moved. Yeah. You know, I, the- agree, I agree with that a hundred percent. And it frustrates me to no end why like friends of mine don't, kind of accept that a little bit more and family you know and yet at the same time and maybe i'm not willing to cut them off yet in my life because i don't know you know where there's history there there's there there's still good people they're just not getting to that like part of themselves that at least you know and they'll, they'll probably hate me when they hear this you know but it's like it's like, just, let's just be empathetic and listen. And why aren't you doing that? And, and you know, there is a point of me, part of me too, where it's like, when it just comes to straight politics, you could, that I, where I do feel like I'd almost like cut it off sooner is like the fact that you're going to vote again or vote for Donald Trump and, and, the current Republican Party is is unacceptable to me because even if you stand for certain conservative values, you know, like strong military, low taxes. I'm I'm not talking about social issues now. Yeah. About, yeah. But you know, the general less general socialism and more more you know more towards like a capitalist or or that kind of vibe. So even if you stand for that, if, if, you're, if you're achieving that through Donald Trump, that can't be acceptable to you because it's, it's just so toxic. Right. And, you that's, know? and that's, what's, that's what's really hard. Like, ugh. That's not what the average person views the Republican Party as anymore. It's not, you know, it isn't strong military. It isn't, I mean, to an extent it is, it's low taxes for the rich. But it's also racism, homophobia, sexism, you know, misogyny, not believing sexual assault survivors, believing in, I mean, and this is my personal thing, believing in a, believing in a Bible that is completely a work of fiction and is hurtful towards, it's, you know, not based in fact, and it's, it's, it's a reinterpretation of that particular work based on hate mm-hmm. and intolerance. So if I, I feel like if you vote, if you vote for this guy, you are co-signing all of that stuff, whether you really believe in it or not. Yeah. Um, that's, that's, that's where I'm really like drawing, feeling the, 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 the line where it's like, come on, like, you know, if, 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 if you do like, if you don't understand yet, or you're still learning, or you're, but to, to, to get certain things through a guy who, who 
is dividing people based on those lines that you just expressed. It's like not, not okay. Right. And I wonder how much of it, I mean, I half know the answer to this question. I have theories. How much of it is related to the experience of not being able to engage with people who are not like you, the inability to just kind of like have your mind opened by learning about the experience of people who have had situations that are different from yours. Mm-hmm. Like the ability, you know, the ability to live in an all white neighborhood and the only brown people you see are like service workers um, or the ability to, you know, like I, there is still not an openly queer male in my immediate family. It's me. That's it. Right. So for all my family knows, I'm an aberration and everybody else is normal. You know what I'm saying? Yeah because no one has exposure to this kind of stuff, you know, to not understand the need for better healthcare or possibly universal healthcare because people have conditions that they can't afford for no other reason other than they can't afford it. And, you know, our, 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 you know, our system of medicine is screwed up. Like it's just, and you brought up empathy, which is something I try to drive home every single time I do this podcast you know, when you, and I'm not speaking to you personally, I'm just speaking like in general, when you read about something or you hear about something in injustice and you're like, why do those people need that? Like try to put yourself in the other person's shoes and think about what their perspective might be because Mm -hmm. we don't, you know, we don't all get born with the same, you know, we don't all start at the same place. Mm -hmm. You know, we don't all, you know, and we don't all travel the same route on our lives. So the the place where we're playing from is not even. And the starting line unquestionably is different when it comes to things like gender and race and sexuality. And that's just, I mean, that's fact. That's that's inarguable. You know, and money doesn't matter, like status doesn't matter. You know, that's just sort of the way things work and it shouldn't, they shouldn't be working that way. The system prioritizes one group of people over others. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, I, 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 for all that, I feel like we, I feel like progress is being made though in, in very incremental ways. I mean, I, you know, I, I got, I have to feel like, some degree of hope, you know, and, you know, there's, there's a lot we're facing coming up. I mean, I, I, I think obviously climate change, but, but we, I mean, there's at least on these, on like these kind of social issues and stuff, I, I do feel like change is happening. And a lot of what we might be dealing with is sort of the last dying kick of a, of a rotten old mule, you know? <laughs> and a lot of people have said that too, that I've spoken yeah. to. Hopefully we could get past it without like a bunch of bloodshed and, right. you know, families hating each other and friends not being friends anymore. But right. but I do have to, you know, it's like, I just can't believe people are going to still care about this who are like in their 20s or 30s now. Like, it's like... I think... I. I I think that this period in time 
mm-hmm. is like going to be a huge shift. Mm-hmm. I think that, you know, and while there are young people who still kind of hold on to these views, I do think that, uh, I think that the period of time when the majority of people held these views is already passed. Yeah, it's, 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 it's right. And I do think that this is kind of like, you know, when you're faced with change, a lot of people will just fight tooth and nail to keep the change from happening. Mm-hmm. I don't think this time it will be successful. I think change is going to happen no matter what. And look, I, things are different socially. You know, when I was 19 or 20 years old, if you'd have told me that I would be able to legally get married to another guy, I wouldn't have believed you. If you'd have told me that there would have been a black president, I wouldn't have believed you. You know, if you had told me, you know, that there are trans people in the world, I wouldn't have believed you. Like, so I think, and a lot of this has to do with the internet. And this is one of the great things about technology is that it has legitimized the fact that there are so many different people, types of people in this country in this world and it's given a lot of people myself included confidence to walk an honest walk yeah that's great man i mean like yeah that's a good point because it's always so easy to be just blame so much of the situation we're on on the internet but it's really sped things up in a way for you know for social for positive social change oh 100 100 percent. how do you like what what gives you the most hope, I guess, is the question. Well, I just think that younger people, it's, it's, it's more, it's more out, it's more like the conversation is being had more openly than ever before. And, and then there's just, you know, I feel like, I feel like, I'm so cautious to say the wrong thing here because I feel like it, you, you're the, not going to say the wrong phrasing thing. of it could like offend someone, but like, I, cause I don't, but like speak from your heart. I mean, if you're, if you're gay now and I'm not, I'm not saying in any way that it's, it's not still difficult, but it's, it's, it just feels more, so much more accepted. And so if you're 18 or 19, it's like, yeah, gay people, my friends are gay. There's, it's not a thing as much anymore. Oh, yeah, I mean, I can co-sign that. And it still yeah. is a thing. It's still a thing, right. And, you know, for people who grow up in religious environments or conservative environments or environments just where there are not a lot of queer people around, I, I still think, and, you know, for particularly for men who are not straight, there is still a huge societal stigma mm-hmm. around that. But, you know, as someone who you know, was born in the 70s and, you know, started to come out in the the mid to late 90s, like, I would certainly have an easier time in 2020 doing it than I did when I did, Mm -hmm. you know? Totally. Well, yeah, so I just, to go back to hope, what gives me hope is that, like, you know, we've had a Black president now. We have a, we're, God willing, we're going to have a, black vice president I, I, we're just gay men and women are our friends and they're all around us and they're just you don't even really think about it so 
there's still these people who resist that and but in 20 years, it's just, I just feel like we have the chance where that, that kind of stuff is going to matter less and less. Oh, I, and, you know, and that gives me hope. You know? right. like, we won't even really have to like, but so now we've got to make the, you know, now we've got to make the change in the actual, like, in the actual structure of things. You know, that's what comes next. But at least we we're getting really close to having kind of broken down those those social barriers just on a on a interpersonal level and in 20 years it's really going to be like that and then now we've got to change the structure of it so right and that i think is is where we're at right now like and and that's why this election is so fucking important because you know we don't want to go back right and i don't think anyone you know, We're not going back. I mean, if he's elected again, it, it's going to be, we're not going back. It's only going to, it's only going to intensify. Someone like him, is, he, all, all he can ever get to is chaos. He's never going to make things better. Things are changing. We're moving forward with, you know, he could be the president, but it's just going to make it more painful and more chaotic if he gets elected again, but we're moving forward. He's not holding us back. I, I, you know, I have my pessimistic moments. Yeah. It's easy to have. Yeah. Yeah. But I, you know, that hearing that gives me, gives me hope in the moment (laughs) that, that, you know, we really are on the, on the right track. One other thing you, you had mentioned in our, our earlier correspondence was, you know, talking about can music save the world? Yeah. And I don't know. I feel like music, a lot of times has been the voice of, you know, the voice of progressive society. I mean, you think about Marvin Gaye and, and Stevie Wonder and Bob Dylan and Kendrick Lamar and, 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 you know, all of these people who have made music or even people like Prince and Bowie who via like imagery have really pushed the boundaries forward in regards to things like race and sexuality. So I think I answered my question, but what's your answer to the question? Can music, music can change the world. Can it save the world? Can it save the world? Yeah, good question. I mean, I, I, I would just take it on like, I don't know, music can just change. Music just can, you know, music, at least for me, like when it's really working, like it's everything, you know, like it, it kind of, <laughs> it's time to get too abstract, but like it kind of represents like, nature and love and interpersonal dynamics and struggle and everything we go through as humans can be you can you can feel that nostalgia like in a good piece of music you know and i think that makes us understand ourselves better and understand our world better so for at least the people who are open to it it can save the world how do we get more people to really, I mean, I'm also open. I'm also like, think that there is, there are some people that just don't really relate to music. Which blows my mind, man. I remember <laughs> the first time I heard somebody say that, like the first time it really hit me, like I was seeing somebody and I was talking about all this music that I liked and they were like, yeah, I'm not really a fan of music. And I was like, what? Like, it was <laughs> right. like, it was like somebody was speaking, was speaking like, 
uh, like a prehistoric language when they yeah. said that. Like, what does that even mean? Yeah, I feel the same way. I'm just like, <laughs> like, has anyone ever said that to you? Oh, totally. I yeah, I have I have some family, you know, or friends that just it's nothing but like a that's what scares me like going back to the beginning of our conversation like i just i put it but you know what what gives me like what makes me feel that music's always going to really matter like on a deeper level is i just think some people have that pipeline where they're open to music and no matter whether you're born in the 70s or right now like it's going to find its way to you somehow but I don't know. I don't know where we're going with we're going with this. But yeah, like you know, how how could it? How could music not like, you know? I, I can't answer that question. I I do. I had you know with everything going on in this fucking crazy world right now, and you feel like you got to watch, you know, stay up on politics and all this kind of stuff, and it's like at the end of the day, like all I really want to do is spend, you know, who's really good about that? Marco Benevento. Really? That guy is just so immersed in music. music? Look, man, I wish I could, I'll, I'll turn the camera around here and hopefully not drop it. I mean, like I've got all of this to like take in, Yeah. but it's hard to like focus on that when there's just so much other shit going on. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly what I'm saying. It's like, huh, but that's that's what that's what's where the magic is music will always matter art will always matter even if it appears to matter less as uh, we get older and maybe less in the year 2020 when there are so many other distractions available that maybe i or kevin didn't have when we were younger i do think that music and art still matter to a lot of people and if you are a young person and music and art means a lot to you please reach out i would love to have a conversation with you Anyway, thank you, Kevin, for taking the time to uh, sit and talk to me. We had a really great conversation. And if you'd like to know more about Kevin, you can follow him at uh, Calibro Music Media is based in Kingston, New York. You can find them on Twitter at Calibro Music. That is C-A-L-A-B-R-O Music. And uh, the Royal Potato Family. And I... I wish there was a way that I could actually figure out what that name means. If there are any uh, Bob Dylan fans listening, and I'm sure there are because several of the guests that I have uh, interviewed are big Bob Dylan fans and don't understand why I am not one, you can find Royal Potato Family online at Royal Potato on Twitter, royalpotatofamily.com on the internet. So uh, check them out there. And as a reminder, you can find me on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph, T-I-S, Mike Joseph, and on Instagram at It'sMikeJoseph, I-T-S, Mike Joseph. Sign up for the Detox Pod newsletter at tinyurl.com slash detoxpod. And if you would like to leave feedback on the show or suggest a guest, you can email me at detoxpod at gmail.com. Don't forget to subscribe on whatever platform you're using to listen and leave a rating and or a comment too. As I release this episode, I want to remind my American listeners to go out and vote on November 3rd. I am pretty vocal about my politics as a general rule and specifically on this show as it is a no-hate zone. So make sure you're filling in that box for progress and change, which in this case means voting for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. In closing, I want to thank this episode's guest and all of my guests for appearing on their show. 
appearing on this show, by the way, (laughs) and giving their time, their trust, and honesty to me. The Detoxicity Podcast is hosted and produced by me, Mike Joseph. I give special thanks to Calvin Williams for composing the intro and outro music, to Jacob Block for designing the show's logo, and to Jeff Giles, Andrew Grossman, and Jason Hare for the inspiration. I wish all of you listening ongoing health and safety. Once again, I'm Mike Joseph. Catch y'all next week. Peace.